Welcome back to the Veteran State of Mind podcast. Coming to you with a special episode. It's the first one that's been recorded. Actually, no, it's the second one that's been recorded in a hotel room, which, um, yeah, goes to show you uh, a, a lot. I like to think about the effort that I go to to reach the best guests in all the lands. Um, my guest today, he is the meme lord. He is the king of military memes, uh, various other aristocratic titles that he has, all involving memes. His name is Daniel Sharp. He's a veteran of Iraq, a veteran of Afghanistan. Um, been the same kind of shitholes, the same kind of time, had many of the same kind of experiences. He is one of the funniest military people on the internet. Um, maybe the funniest. Check out his memes, decide for yourself. Um, you'll know him as Pop Smoke. Um, he's a friend of mine. It's the second time we've done a podcast together, so I'm excited. And uh, the reason we are in this lovely little hotel room, and the audio might not be as good as usual, is because we're in Norway. And Norway, it turns out, is expensive as fuck. And it was, um, it was, it was over £200 for an hour of studio time. And I need that money for hookers. So, unfortunately, we're in the hotel. There's a hooker decomposing in the back of the room as we speak. But we are professionals. We're not going to let that stop us. Dan, bro, welcome Thank to you. the podcast. Thank you. Well, it's nice to return the favour, mate, after you had us on... Um, last time, um, I'm just going to ask for your patience for a second while I do a bit of uh, what I like to call uh, marketing, um, where I ask you, loyal listeners. Well, first of all, I want to thank you because you know we're over. This is episode number twelve now. Um, you know the support has been great. Recently, I put some signed copies of my book Siege, um, you know, up for sale, and with the proceeds going in a split towards. Um, the recording cost of this podcast, which, as we just mentioned, can be um, pretty high. Um, and um, also to a charity called First Light, which do excellent work in supporting veterans. So go and check out those guys, First Light. Um, I, really, I really like that charity because um, it's run by somebody who, he, she walks the walk. Right? She, she's not one of these people who has a charity and she's taking a fucking... Great big, uh, great big salary off the top of it, and has a board of directors who are all their mates, and they're all taking six figures home. You know, she she really fucking cares, and um, she's been good to me, and now I want to be good to them. So, if you want to sign copy and help support the podcast and help support uh, First Light, then you can find the details on my social media. Um, the other thing that I'm going to try and sell you before we begin the podcast is my book Brothers in Arms, which is coming out May sixteenth. Um, it's coming out in hardback, on ebook, and audio book, which I've been recording recently. Um, so if you like listening to my voice, which, or at the very least, you can tolerate listening to my voice, then you might enjoy the audio book. Um, what I could really, really like use your help actually when it comes to this book, um, because pre-orders are really fucking important for a book because you get a good number of pre-orders, get it in the bestseller list, and if it gets on that list, it gets into more stores, which means more people see it. Does that benefit me by getting more sales? Absolutely, it benefits me, but that benefits podcast. But more importantly, the whole message of the book is because I think I'm a good case study in how not to deal with leaving the military. Um, you've heard about some of that stuff on the podcast, and you're going to hear more about it. Uh, in the book, I go down into depth, quite honestly, not the kind of stuff that I'm comfortable talking about on camera, because some of it is pretty fucking dark and deep and... Um, I don't think any of you want to see two hours of me screaming and crying or anything. Maybe you do. I've got a webcam uh, show. If you, if that's your thing, you can check it out. Um, but guys, if you can pre-order Brothers in Arms, I would really fucking appreciate it. If there's one book 
of mine that you're ever going to buy in your life, and it probably is going to only be one book after you read one of them, um, then please make it brothers in arms. Um, I, I it, it's it's um, it is a bit of a fucking cliche and stuff to say that you like kind of poured your heart out and shit into a book and like look the, the truth is when I'm writing about Roman soldiers or a crime thriller I'm not pouring my heart out I'm trying to write something that's entertaining and you know maybe some educational at some points but this book I really kind of um I really I really fucking it's, it's, it's hard for me to kind of like put it out across there like put it this way I'm fucking shitting myself I'm very excited about the book coming out but I'm also shitting myself because um this book is like it's it's really just put in I haven't held back on, on anything in there so yeah I'm kind of shitting myself because people are going to know exactly what kind of psychopath I am and um, it might be the last book I've got published so um, yes thank you to those who have already supported it and if you haven't uh, and you can and if you know if, it, uh, if you know if you can't afford to buy the book then I totally understand that and I won't hold it against you um, but you know please fuck off right now because you're not getting anything for free I'm joking nah no. <laughs> um, that is why I don't work in marketing that is why I write books Daniel Sharp mm-hmm. let's talk some fucking veteran state of mind stuff we've got a few things I've got if I keep looking down here it's not a dead hooker I'm looking at <laughs> um, I'm looking down at my little notes and you just brought up a really interesting point about Norway because we wanted to touch on you know it seems as we are in country so to speak we wanted to touch on some stuff that was relevant to Norway um, and you brought up a really interesting point is that we have seen not a single uh, sign of military recruitment posters or anything like that like, out, out here. So, yeah, what's up with that? No, we haven't seen any uh, billboards, any commercials, any posters, no recruiting offices, no one in uniform. Um, the only person I think we saw in uniform was the one guard that they have at the Royal Palace. Yeah, there's like one, yeah, one guard. There's one guy staggering out outside the Royal Palace traditional kind of big furry thing on his head all that kind of stuff shout out all the guys in the guards out there that wear that stuff not my cup of tea but good on you um it's interesting isn't it because yeah. we're both from like you know dude london is you know obviously people go for the you know changing of the guard and all that kind of stuff and that's a very much a touristy thing but even so you know there's um, well, I mean, granted, we haven't been watching, watching much Norwegian TV and stuff out here, but you see recruiting offices, yeah. you see on the side of buses, maybe, of recruiting adverts and stuff like that. Um, Not only that, but like in America, you'll have uh, sponsored advertisements on your social media. So you'll just be sitting there, like, you know, looking at memes or whatever, and you'll scroll across a post. It's like, you know, uh, join the Navy as a chaplain or, you know, um, after you get out of the service, join the National Guard. Yeah. And there's been none of that. I've seen a little bit of TV. Um, I, I watched a little bit in my room last night and the night before, before I went to bed, just kind of background noise, you know, kind of helps quiet the, uh, the screams. Oh yeah, you hear that a scream dampener. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so there hasn't been anything. The only evidence that I've seen is that when I was buying my ticket on the train, um, at the very bottom of the, uh, the price list said it was a discounted rate for conscripts. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's pretty interesting that like, even though they're not overtly a military country, there's obviously, um... You know, countries don't go giving shit away for free unless there's a um, a groundswell of support for the military in that country. Yeah. So even though it's not an overt thing, it's not like it's a because some countries like they have they're quite disdainful of the militaries, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a last resort thing that people go into. So clearly that's not the case here. Clearly there's some kind of you know oh well well done for you you spoiled the country therefore you get a cheap train ticket. Hope that makes up for no legs. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting one, dude. Because I was sick. I you know, look, we're in 
the heart of the Viking countries. Yeah, while you're talking, I'm going to look up to see how big the military is. All right. Yeah, so we're in the heart of the Viking countries. Um, you can't turn on your fucking TV now without seeing someone get an axe stuck in his head. You know, Vikings are very on vogue at the moment. I think those shows like Vikings are part of the reason why so many people have got the old, like, the long hairy bearded looks. I think they've had, like, a bit of a, a kind of like a, a fashion, um, a fashion influence as well. But it's, the there's obviously, like, warrior culture DNA. The warrior culture DNA in, or sorry, warrior DNA, in my opinion, is something that it is within certain people. Certain people, yeah. it's like a nature-nurture thing. Some people are born to be warriors. Um, and I definitely think that, that that's the case. So there's, I'm sure there's some probably, there's probably like, imagine what a Norwegian Special Forces unit looks like. They're probably all like six foot five, built like fucking, like, you know, like you get your yeah, NFL linebackers like Clay Matthews with yeah. long, flowing hair. I don't have a man crush on him at all. I just know all of his physical characteristics. <laughs> yeah, and what I have noticed is that most people here are very mild-mannered, very polite, uh, very soft-spoken where, you know, you actually bump into somebody and depending on what part of Camden or London or New York or Virginia Beach you're in, you want to get a, hey, fuckhead, mm. you know, like, watch where you're going. As we're here, like, oh, no, 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 my fault. Please excuse me. Please walk over me. Yeah. Don't get your feet wet in that puddle. I'll take it for you. And so it's kind of like, um, I feel like the, you know, the idea that, like, the, the raiding and the pillaging and the Viking, like, I kind of feel like a lot of that's been lost along the way. And because you have uh, the reputation of people in Scandinavia being very hospitable, Mm. very polite um, and so that's kind of a thing and so yeah you see this guy that's you know four or five inches taller than me and I bump into him and he's like oh no sorry like please don't like you know he still stopped him <laughs> with <laughs> he fucking bumped in you fuck that asshole yeah. I mean I've always seen one person puking in the streets here so far and he was a US Marine not this US Marine mm -hmm. I may add um, <laughs> and I've only seen one drunken asshole and it was uh, wait it was me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing. Like, um, yeah, I haven't seen any bar fights. I haven't seen oh, any no. altercations. I've only seen two police officers, and they didn't even carry guns. Yeah, I mean, British police officers don't really carry guns either. But, um, yeah, I, I, I imagine there's, there's there's not the gun culture here that there is in, you know, in America. Oh, yeah. oh, we got the, we got the stat. Okay, what's the stat? So, um, there are just under 19,000 active duty personnel uh, 7,300 of which are conscripts, meaning that they got voluntold to join the military. That's not many people, that's not many conscripts, uh, conscripts is it? Because usually conscript armies tend to be, um, they go for the uh, quantity over quality thing, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like, say, your Egyptian army. I'll probably get assassinated by someone from Egypt now, but, you know, their army has, like, a lot of conscripts, and, you know, it's their training is, like, I don't even think they do push-ups and stuff. I don't know what they do, to be honest. Well, we know what they do, and it's called fucking little kids. Um, I think, yeah, well, dude, well, we, it's the truth. Um, you know, the old fucking Habibi system is alive and well in those kind of militaries. It's endemic. Um, yeah, unfortunately, that, yeah, that got that quick. Um, but, no, it's, um, I, that's, I'm really surprised, because you must be pretty unlucky to be the guy conscripted. Do, you, do they have men and women as well? They do. Um, oh, so you've got the facts ready to go now. Yeah, they said uh, mandatory. But not every... The thing is, is that um, uh, a fair amount of people who will be conscripted aren't actually required to serve. So they are forced to come in and go through the examinations and say, like, okay, you are qualified for military service, but we do not require you at this time. Right. 
That's interesting. So we're like, when, if, like, when Russia comes, what did I say when? If <laughs> if Russia comes, then it's like, yeah, now you got to get your fucking boots on. Yeah, because from, and even from what I'm seeing as far as the conscripts go, it said in practice, recruits are not forced to serve. Instead, only those who are motivated are selected. Interesting. So if you do get that letter saying like, hey, you're conscripted, you know, you can go there. And if you just shit the bed and fucking sandbag everything, <laughs> then, you know, well, somebody can will explain take... to a British listener what a uh, sandbag is. Okay. Um, so the idea behind that is that you, um, you're, you're kind of just like taking your time with things. You're not putting your best effort uh, I'm not sure where the exact phrase come from. I think maybe it's because they used to get sandbag put over their head and have the shit beat out of them. Yeah. If I had to make a guess, that's what it'd be. Yeah, or just like, you know how you kind of, like if you were carrying a sandbag, you're going to move a lot slower than somebody who's not. True that, or the speed. Of, oh, you maybe a sandbag fill. <laughs> yeah. You, you take all day to like fill a sandbag. We all know those people. Yeah, and then also um, like when you're playing spades, if you have a really good hand, but you say that uh, you don't have a good hand just so you'll guarantee that you'll make your nut, it's called sandbagging because you knew you could do better, but you didn't. Gotcha. So kind of like the same concept. Like if you go in there and you underperform, like it seems like you can kind of get out of it. But the people who are like real gung-ho and, mm. and they want to serve, they're, they're more than welcome to yeah. like, get right. their place. On the subject of cards, have you ever heard of a card game called Shithead? Um, yes, I have actually. Good. Is it, is it like a popular one in America? Um, I've, I've played it maybe two or three times. Yeah, because that, that like is the if there's a British military card game or just a British card game that most people play, I would say that it's shithead. Yeah, it's a great game. I can't remember the rules for it, but uh, if so, someone out there wants a business idea, online shithead. There you go. You're welcome. Please donate some of the money and come <laughs> sponsor Bachelor uh, State of Mind. Um, right, dude. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was obviously as we've established, you are the meme lord. Yeah. Undisputed meme lord of the military world. Well, uh, that, that's, a, that's a bold assumption, but I do all right. Well, I'm making bold assumptions. It's my podcast, and that's what I make. That's people come here to hear bold assumptions, <laughs> right? I have zero evidence to back up any of these assumptions, <laughs> but they are mine, and I own them, and I think you are the undisputed one. And um, all three people listening to this will probably take my word for it. So, how the fuck do you go from being a fucking big dick slinging, trigger-pulling, door-kicking slayer of men to making people laugh well um because on any given deployment you spend uh 95% of your time sitting around with your thumb up your ass and then 5% of the time actually doing your job mm. and um so because of that you have to fill a lot of dead space with banter and with conversation and just being able to make people laugh and make things that are uh, kind of insane but make them relatable you know, because if I, if I put a meme out there, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, when you are fucking a gorilla on the top of the Eiffel Tower and you win the lottery, like nobody, you know, besides you after a few beers can relate to that, yeah. you know? And so like, okay, well, that's wild, but it's just shocking to be shocking. Yeah. But as far as memes go, you know, if you say something like, you know, like when you're on a PT run and you're hungover and the person behind you can smell what kind of liquor you were drinking the night before, mm. that's relatable. And it's and what I find brilliant about this is, it's not just relatable to a U.S. Marine. Yeah. It's relatable to cross-services. And you were talking as well about how many followers you have who are not even service members, but they were they might just have an interest in the service. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, what, what, what was the point? Was it just something you were literally just doing it for a bit of your own fun? Yeah, or? it started off that way. Um, I kind of got into editing pictures because we, we'd be on deployment and we'd lose a guy. 
and uh, you know people would want to make a in memorandum post for this individual right and so I um, yeah, I would go to their excuse me their profile and get their picture and kind of like you know put it on it put like the blurb about like you know who they were their name their rank you know, where they were when they passed away what dates they were in you know take that and I, you know I'd I'd send it out to the guys, and then you know they, they would post it on their social media. So when we're, when we're talking like what two thousand, you the first boy of two thousand five, right? Yeah, I didn't start until I think two thousand and ten or two thousand eleven. Okay, so you because so because you did like just run people through um, like just uh, we're veering on a tangent here for for people just listening to the uh, people listening to this on audio. I am drinking, so <laughs> there will be tangents in this. Um, yeah. What was your um, what was your just quick just a quick rundown of them? Where did you deploy to? In uh, two thousand five, I went to Iraq, uh, Syrian border. Two thousand seven, I went to Iraq again, Al Anbar province, um, between Ramadi and Fallujah, and through throughout those areas. Then in two thousand and eleven, I went to Jordan. Then at the end of two thousand eleven, I went to Afghanistan, and then in two thousand fourteen, you were down in Sangin, right? Yeah, down in Helmand province, Sangin district, mm. uh, the brown zone specifically. You know, I like to stay in the brown zone. Yes, I was, do we all. <laughs> um, um, and so, then uh, 2014, I went to Guantanamo Bay. Um, I'd like to put out that he was there as part of the guard force and not as a detainee. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the, the reason we recorded in Oslo. <laughs> it's not because he's currently on the run. Yeah, no, I, I ran the ranges there for about six months. Right, yeah. true. Yeah, so um, I think a lot of, uh, you know, British listeners... Um, like guys who have served, you know, recently will be able to relate to a lot of the places you were at because, you know, you were in, um, you know, for people who don't know Al Anbar province, that place was a, I would, a distinct, distinguished itself as being a fucking very massive shithole. Yeah, massive shithole. Um, but a very volatile massive shithole, especially at that, in that period. Uh, and then obviously yeah, Sangin, Bayan Sangin is, you know, Sangin as well. Like all, all, all British. Uh, anyone who knows anything about the British military is going to have heard of uh, of, of Sangin. So, when so you started making these, you started making these memorandum things, and then, you, and then how did that transition into? Um, how did that transition into like becoming some pretty piss uh, piss funningly piss funningly piss funny <laughs> memes? Well, um, I think the. Uh... The, the first military meme that I made, uh, we had just gotten a new commandant of the Marine Corps who was some air winger pogue who had never been in a firefight. Oh, so and, please explain to British listeners what a pogue is. Oh, it's a person other than grunt. Uh, so mechanics, uh, paper pushers, uh, anybody who's not out there, you know, patrolling, actually, you know, doing grunt work. And there's, um, so he was an air winger. And so this guy became in charge of the, you know, the, the entire Marine Corps commandant. And you know a lot of a lot of people were upset about that because you know here we are at the height of war and this guy has never been in a gunfight mm. and um, so I had, I had made a meme basically teasing the commandant um, mm-hmm. about not having a combat action ribbon or as the acronym is a car so it's like you know how can he drive the core into the future when he doesn't have a car yeah <laughs> nice and, yeah and so it was a good zinger and you know it, I sent it into a page and it blew up and. I was fucking terrified because I thought like, man, this is going to get traced back to me. Oh, you still serving? I was still after doing it. Oh, yeah. shit. I was in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> I thought he was going to fly down and it's walk me. fitting you for a jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, walk me over the compound and start waterboarding me. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so Although that would have given you an erection. Massive. <laughs> real stiffy. And so that was, uh, that was my start in that. And then uh, the guy who ran the page asked me to send another one. I sent another one in that did really well. 
and then he asked me to to help him admin the page, and eventually I started my own Pop Smoke. Yeah. So you you go you go do Pop Smoke, right? And um, you put out how many posts have you done now? I've made somewhere in the neighborhood close to about five thousand original memes. Right. And um, Dan is not a heavy drinker, so I don't know where he gets his influence from <laughs> for so many for so many memes. Because the thing is, as well, it's like yeah, it's funny, and I, but I think one of the mistakes people make when it comes to comedy which you know it is it's form comedy um is people think that if people you know, they look at a comedian or whatever and they think oh well that's got an easy job because they're just saying funny shit whatever but to come up with a consistent level because the other thing as well dude you're in a position now especially now you know obviously it's just something that's gone over time but now you know it's the same with any kind of like artistic work if you put out something then that people think is like a degree below the last thing that you did, you yeah. know, the press, the pressure builds. The more you put out, the more the pressure builds, right? And then the the higher the demand is for the output, you know, if I don't post a meme for a day or two because you know I'm in, you know, either super depressed or I'm traveling, mm. then I get angry messages. And it's, are they are they genuinely angry or are they just like is it banter? A little bit of both, really. Yeah, because there there's a. There's a few people out there that don't understand that proper banter is being friends with somebody first. So I'll get strangers that I've never met, I've never served with, just they happen to be in the military, and they're like, hey, you shithead, like, why haven't you posted today? Yeah. And I'm like, fuck off, guy. Like, I don't, uh, who are you? Yeah. Because you, you run a business, too. You have yeah. a business. So, like, so you have a business, uh, empl- you know, employee veterans, and, um, you know, so it's, it's not like, I think some people maybe think, like, oh, this guy is like, he makes memes, and... He lives on a super yacht with a bunch of fucking um, dead hookers. <laughs> I wish. If that was the case, then I would put out more. You know? yeah. yeah, but I mean, most of the content would be about dead hookers and stuff. But, <laughs> so, there's a lot of pages out there. I'm a big fan of some of them. Uh, you know, like print war, war footage out and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, you've chosen to go down, um, you know, a different path. And I think um, there's definitely a place for war footage. I mean, I'm, I definitely disappeared down that rabbit hole sometime. Like, oh, a little firefight video in Afghanistan. Three hours later, I'm three hours later. I'm still watching, and I've gone to get my good headphones so that like the round sound closer and yeah. stuff. And you know, and my poor old cats are like my, my poor old cats are just like watching me like leopard crawl around the, the kitchen. It's <laughs> like Charlie in the trees. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. You've gone down. You've gone down that different route because um, I hope you don't mind me going now. Listen, you because I'm just going to say because you already mentioned being depressed yourself, right? It's not like. Um, you're constantly bouncing off the walls in a um, you know in this big ball of happiness all the time. Oh, quite the opposite. Um, you know, from the uh, the combat tours, uh, not being able to trust women, um, the struggles that you have getting out. Uh, you know, there's there there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of darkness to deal with. Yeah, and I think that's regardless of being in the military or not being in the military. I think this is one of the. I think one of the reasons like a lot of these kind of memes work with people that weren't even in the military is people, it's, it's all tied into the human condition. And yeah. part of the human condition is suffering. And that might be suffering on a, a run. And it might be suffering um, from, like, you, you might not have lost a friend in combat, but you might have lost a friend in a car accident, you know? And, um, you know, I think that's why comedy, you know, comedy does work. You know, if I listen to a black comedian making jokes about the black community... That I'll still find some stuff funny because there's going to be some crossover into my own life in you know one way or another. Yeah, not only that, but uh, especially in America, the, um, the you know the United States, where most the majority of people are related to somebody who has served. Um, I think 
somewhere in the neighborhood of like only like maybe 8% of the country or less are veterans. And that is drop, you know, rapidly declining because of the, uh, the passing away of the World War II veterans. Oh, right, okay. uh, so for the most part, everybody had, you know, either a grandpa or a great uncle or, you know, um, a brother or an uncle or someone who served in either, you know, World War II, back to back World War champs. Boom. Flex on them. And, uh, or, you know, uh, Korea, the Korean conflict, or, you know, the Vietnam conflict. The, not champs in that one, though. Yeah, to be fair, uh, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the fact that the U.S. never lost a major battle, yeah. and the kill-to-death ratio was staggering in favor of the U.S. Yeah, I think the thing with Vietnam, dude, is I look at it like Afghanistan and Iraq. It's like, we did our fucking job, the same as the troops in uh, Vietnam did their job. Yeah, uh, and it so was like, I feel it was a um, tactical victory, but a political loss. Yeah, definitely the same as the ones we were involved in. I would yeah. say, um, yeah, and and I think that's why um, I, I think I think that there's been like a a big kind of rethinking of how people deal with Vietnam veterans and stuff now because there was such kind of like distaste at the time, and now yeah. I, I think the I think the the thinking now has swung around to. These are most like well, not most of these are a lot of draftees. A lot of the time, they're just doing their fucking job and what they were told. Yeah, like the overall strategy was not down to them. They did what yeah. they were told, and they don't deserve to be held in any anything but you know the highest regard for doing the duty. And also, I'll, I'll point this out: we dedicated uh, about the same amount of resources and manpower to taking the single island of Okinawa mm-hmm. in World War Two as we did the entire Vietnam conflict. Exactly. So I just read that book, uh, Hue, nineteen sixty eight. Um, I forget the name of the guy. He's the guy that did the uh, Black Hawk Down book too. Uh, it's a hell of a size book, but I do recommend checking it out because, like, well, you're a marine, so you know what you know. We see, yeah. you know, and we're talking about a fucking okay, a city, right? So we know it's not. We know this is not a little place. A city, and they're just sending in like a company of marines here and a company of marines there. The fact that they were actually able to fucking persevere in that battle is inc- is incredible. And I mean, see, I have a lot of time for marines, dude. You know, so a lot of my fucking a lot of my good friends are American Marines, and there's a, there's a reason for that because I think very similar to British soldiers. Um, I think our ethos is the same because um, I know one of the things about American Marines is you're not funded as well as the other branches, so mm. it's about getting done. I heard recently, I don't know if it's true or not, so if you're in the US Army, don't stick, don't get pissy at me. But I've told as far as like lethality goes, that like a Marine battalion is kind of graded the same as a, a US Army regiment. Or um, I think I, I don't know if that's true or not, but what I will say is this. I know from my own eyes that they get a lot of fucking shit done with not that many fucking people. And like, like the British Army, like, um, and this goes for all the British Army, especially the infantry, we fucking carry all our shit on our back. And I think that's very true for Marines too, right? You guys do a lot of, like, yeah, there's vehicles and there's the fucking helicopters and shit, but you guys, you fucking rock. Yeah, that, that, is, uh, that is true. Uh, the, the unique thing about the Marine Corps is that we have our own helicopters, our own jets, um, yeah, granted, like, you know, in joint operations, like, we had our medevac done by Tricky, you know, like, the, the British pilots in, yeah. in Afghanistan, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, we'll get the A-10s from the, the Air Force. Shout on out all A-10 pilots. Yeah. And, but, for, but for the most part, if you have a Marine Corps Air Ground Task Force, it's pretty self-sustained. Um, we get our, our medical personnel and our religious personnel from the Navy, um, but for the most part, we, we do a lot of stuff, and it's kind of funny, there was... Uh, an operation, operation. I think it was either um, Grenada or Panama, but you had like a, a SEAL team that was pinned down. You had like a, two regiments of Ranger battalions that were pinned down. 
and there's actually a, a quote from an army general. It's like I have like three regiments pinned down and two companies of marine running rampant over the over the north of the island. Like, mm. what the hell is going on? Yeah. And you know, like two companies of marines, and I think it's it's more so for the fact that there is a um, a, a little bit of suicidal in there. Because like in Way City, one of the companies was Suicide Charlie. Yeah. And became very, you know, famous for the fact that they're like, oh, that's the, the worst of the fighting. That's where we're going. Well, ethos, ethos carries over from generation to generation. Yeah. So when your forefathers uh, were in Okinawa and Iwo Jima and all these fucking battles, that definitely fucking, that, that, that carries on. Like, and you hit the nail on the head because when I look at that, I look at that as my lineage. You know, I look at that as my, my forefathers. I have more, you know, uh, paternal respect for those Marines than I have for my own biological father, <laughs> you know? And so when the the reason why it's such a cult is because, like, if you have, like, a, a little uh, string sticking out on your uniform, you're not just like, oh, hey, it's just a string. No, you're disrespecting the uniform that the Marines who died on Iwo Jima wore. Right. Yeah, that's where, like, in other branches, might just fix it, you know, dickhead. Mm-hmm. But the Marine Corps, it's like, no. Like, those Marines didn't die and, you know, and the Frozen Chosen for you to fuck up their legacy. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's a legacy. Yeah, I mean, we just mentioned, like... You know, in the last couple of minutes, you know, way frozen chosen. If you guys don't know any of these, uh, if, if you guys haven't heard of these battles, then correct yourself. There it is. <laughs> For those that don't know, and if you don't know, because if you, by the way, guys, I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, Dan is also the host of the Smoke Pit podcast, right? I will, I will give you all the details of where to find uh, Dan at the end. But um, yeah, definitely be checking out the Smoke Pit podcast, um, and that. Th- those kind of battles, and we're not talking, you know, so, you know, one of the great things I love about the British Army is, you know, our regiment, kind of, you know, talking about lineage, you know, my regiment was at Waterloo and stuff like that, and that's great, and that's a lot of pride, but you can't touch that the way you can touch a battle of 40 years ago when you meet the veterans. I think that that's kind of dual-sided, though, because, you know, when I was in the UK, because I spent a lot of time going through the UK, and I've been to, you know, Wales, I've been to... Uh, you come see me. Well, I didn't know you then. But still, I was... You know. You're probably face down in an opium den somewhere. <laughs> uh, 2014, do you remember that year? <laughs> yeah, it was before the slide into madness. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, I couldn't, you know, throw a stone without hitting something that was older than America, you yeah. know? And so the idea that, like, we have such a short, limited burst, but yet the U.S. has been in armed conflict, conflict for 94% of the time that it's been a country. Yeah, I mean, it is... Um, and again, this is something like I, I, I harp on about a lot, but I'm going to continue to harp on about it because it's a point I like to make. And that is that people think about the samurai and everything like that as some of the most warlike cultures. Uh-uh. Correct yourself. Yep. It is the US and the UK. We are fucking... Our militaries are almost constantly scrapping somewhere. Constantly. Yeah. We fucking love a good scrap. Like, there's no, get, there's no getting away from it. Now, do... I'm not saying the whole country loves a good scrap. I mean, they love reaping the benefits of it and then complaining about it a hundred years later. Yeah. But um, but our militaries are like the if you you know I, I really believe that in a couple of thousand years time, if we're still here, people will be looking back on the U.S. military and the British military, and it will be compared to the fucking samurai cultures and stuff, you know, like that. All right, maybe we piss on each other in the showers more than they do. But yeah, because if you look at who had like the. Uh the largest global empire was the UK. Yeah. You know, like, I think Genghis Khan... We have about 50 troops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just uh, throw a little opium in China, you know, 
a little bit of a seasoning towards this other place, well, and you got them locked in. That was back in the days when drug wars had a different. Like now, drug wars is supposed to be about stopping the drugs. We fought wars. Um, the op- you know we fought the opium wars because we didn't want to they they the Chinese the to turn off yeah the Chinese wanted us to stop importing it and we were like no we're going to continue to import <laughs> opium and we're willing to come in and slaughter a bunch of you and we burned down a bunch of their national treasures as basically don't uh, don't you dare tell us not to sell drugs here <laughs> we we were the biggest drug dealers in the world so um, politicians bear that one in mind. You know who else is uh, who, who's up there pretty high in the mongering as warmongering is in like the last couple hundred years? Um, I think it was the Netherlands with Africa. Oh yeah, dude. They have the oh em- my they god. Have, have you heard about what they've done? They have big empire, dude. Yeah. Dutch. But uh, you imagine it's some fucking six foot five Dutch brick shit house turns up, you know, on some island with everyone's emaciated, which points yeah. clubbing, <laughs> clubbing everyone, stacking bodies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Who's, we, we we have, like, a, a lot of fucking... Um, I'm not going to say blood on our hands, but a lot of blood in our history, because I don't think... Um, I think one of the things... Because this, this was something I was thinking about the Vikings the other day, just bringing it back to Norway. Everyone's going about, oh, the Vikings were so warlike, oh, the Vikings... This. Everyone was fucking warlike. Yeah. At that point in history, no one was sitting around doing yoga fucking classes. At that yeah. point, everyone was going around chopping each other's heads off. And to be fair, also, like, um, doing research into it, like they they only had seasons where they did the raiding parties, and so like during through during out the year, like they would like do their shit. But then it was like, okay, time to go to war. Yeah, you know. And so it, it was like a part of the culture that was big enough, but it wasn't like like you were saying, like how the like the U.S. and U.K. are constantly, mm. and it wasn't like a, a a country initiative. It was like okay, this tribe or this region, you know, like you don't see a lot of examples of all the Vikings. You know, on boats going to invade a country. Yeah. Well, one of the things about the Vikings, it was like if you were in one of those, if and 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 Viking as well as a you know Viking is like a it's a new term. We're talking about the Scandinavian countries, right? Because um, to go Viking was actually the act of raiding party. The rest of the time, you were Dana or you were you know whatever you were. Um, but the thing about them is, and this is very true about our army now and your uh, the Marines. You were only there if you wanted to be. No one was getting conscripted into those those armies of theirs. It was if you were there because you wanted to go and fight. And you wanted part of the the, 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 the bounty. Yeah, yeah. The spoils. And I mean, like, I feel a bit hard. Don't buy that we don't get part of the spoils these days. <laughs> <laughs> like, think about it. There's a lot of money being made out of the Iraq war. And yeah, uh, we, those, we don't fucking get any of it. Yeah, the, but those raiding parties sometimes would be like 30 to 50 people from one village. And they would go, you know, attack a monastery or something. And so you, like, really scale it down. Like, we're saying how, like, World War II, these massive campaigns, Mm -hmm. you know, where you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people assaulting one area. And then you kind of scale it down to, like, where the Vikings were. You have, like, 50 people attacking a village. And then you scale it down to, like, Iraq and Afghanistan sometimes where you might have, like, a 12-man or an 8-man squad, you know, fighting for their life somewhere. And that's, like, your entire, like, military experience where, you know, I've done missions where we had 2,000 Marines online pushing through multiple cities, and then I've been in situations where it's only been eight of us and we're getting shot at. Yeah. And so I've, I've kind of had that gambit through the different deployments, but to kind of like, you know, bridge that gap a little bit, the reason why you and I are able to, you know, get on this and, and you know, talk about our experiences is because we have been in those small unit engagements. Mm. We know the importance of having a good NCO, you know, a good corporal or a good sergeant, to you know manage that small unit leadership because it's not it wasn't MacArthur 
you know, it wasn't Pershing, it, it wasn't Cornwallis, yeah. you know, who was pointing at the, you know, and sending mm-hmm. thousands of us, you know, into yeah. battle. Yeah. Well, yeah, like those, you know, D-Day, for, you know, it's an impeccably planned operation. Um, if it wasn't for the fucking squad leaders and the platoon commanders doing their job on the ground, you can have all the fucking charts drawn up in the fucking world. But, you know, if it comes down to your fucking squad leaders. And I think... Um, Again, uh, this is a comparison I draw with the U.S. Marines and the British Army. Is I think that we both have very good, uh, very good junior leadership. You know, I, I think, um, you know, this I, I knock the Army, British Army, a lot of stuff. Sometimes tongue in cheek, sometimes seriously. But what I do think the British Army does fucking amazingly is train its uh, junior leaders. And as, I mean, I, I can't really speak too much for the officers because I don't know that much other side of things. You know, um, but I do think that this standardized. Um, you know, the way that all uh, NCOs, you have to go to junior breakfast. So you're not having one regiment that's running this one course and one regiment's doing another, and you get this disparity of, you know, different standards. It's everyone from all different regiments is coming in, is going through the same course. I think that's, um, you know, I think that's uh, really, um, it, it's not just important, it's just proven to be effective. Um, so I do, I want to, um, I'm going to, I've got my little notebook list uh, here. Right, while we're, cause while we're talking about, um, similarities between the US Marines and the British Army. I wanted to touch a bit on drinking culture. Yeah. <laughs> so talk us through what not just talk not, not just drinking culture, but talk me through the kind of a day in the life maybe in the barracks of a US Marine infantry unit. Because I'm sure there's difference between, as you said, someone that's in an air wing and someone that's in the um, you know, someone that's in the infantry. What's the kind of like what's the kind of stuff some of the things that you've seen, I mean, I definitely heard the other day one of you mentioned, uh, we have, we've got another friend out here, another Marine. Um, I definitely heard thrown out of a window. And so uh, that, that came up in conversation. Yeah, so um, I, I think uh, one of the biggest differences in the culture is that, you know, I think people in the UK, you're legally able to drink uh, wine at like 16 or... Oh, no, no, it's so eight, 18 for drinking. 18 for, for, for drinking. everything, yeah. I think it's yeah. France, it's 16. Yeah, and so so you... It's yeah, like savages. <laughs> you know, you're able to, to drink at 18. Well, in, in the US, you can't drink till 21. And so it's kind of like a forbidden thing where a lot of people do it. And you kind of have to do it in secret and in private because you could lose rank. Right. You could get thrown out of the military just for having a beer, you know, at 20 years old. How, how do you feel about the fact that guys can get deployed and kill people or be killed and, and can lose rank for having a drink when they get back? Uh, I think it's insane because I remember uh, flying home for leave before my second deployment. And um, they, you know, I, I use my military ID as my proof of identification because... I didn't even think I had a driver's license yet, mm. and uh, and so uh, I'm getting on the plane and I'm heading home. And they're like, "Oh, you're in the military. Well, we have an open seat in first class. Would you like to sit there?" Fuck yeah! And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Like I wasn't, in, I was, I'm not, I'm not the you know the U.S. Army where they you know show up in camouflage. We can't wear that shit. Right. And I was in Good. civilian attire because you know you're supposed to keep a low profile, but you have the stupid haircut and the clean shirt, you know, like, <laughs> and a, and a, like a Molly Day sack. Yeah, yeah, and a Marine Corps T-shirt. You know? <laughs> and so I, I'm sitting up there, and I I just turned, I think I I was 20 years old, and the lady was like, "Oh, would you like some, uh, you know, would you like a, a beer or something?" And I was like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, like I'm I'm not old enough to drink yet. Oh, man. And so she told the captain, and the captain embarrassed the fuck out of me. He's like, hey, just wanted to let everybody know that you know we have a United States Marine, a uh, you know private or Lance Corporal Daniel Sharp. Uh, he's sitting up front in first class, could be an extra seat. I'm sure none of y'all have a problem with that, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, he was like, yeah, we just offered him a beer, and he's on his on his way to his second deployment to Iraq, and he had and he declined because he's not old enough to drink yet, mm. and like he, you heard the the gaps, you know, and the the applause from the oh, entire man. plane. And I'm just saying, I'm just trying to get home and get laid, you know. Yeah, like that's, that's all. I'm I mean, about. did you get to the captain at least blow you? No, no. Yeah, it was fuck him then. He's made that It's like, dude, I would have preferred a little knuckle, knuckle shuffle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the cockpit. Like, I, you know, I would have taken that. And there, there weren't any hot girls on the plane either. So I, I appreciate the effort, but it was embarrassing, you know, because here I am on my second deployment to Iraq, on my way to it, and I'm not even old enough to drink yet. Yeah. All right. What's the th- your thoughts on? Um, we'll come back to drinking culture, right? But while you, you mentioned this thing, so this thing of people being in uniform at airports and stuff. What's your thoughts on that? I, I personally, I, I don't like it um, because it's. I feel it's drawing unnecessary attention. But I can understand if you're on official orders or you're on official business. That's one thing. It's a it's a good recruiting tool. You know, people, you know, will see that, that Marine and, you know, if you're a teenage kid, you see him, he walks a little straighter, you know, he carries himself a little bit more confidently and it's a good recruiting tool. I think the unfortunate part is, is that uh, a lot of kids, because of the pure, you know, the pure size and volume of the U.S. military, a lot of kids get pushed through without exactly learning all the regulations for themselves. Mm. So if their uniform looks like shit in public, it's embarrassing. Yeah, because that's, that's what I was going to say, because I've been in airports where I've seen like groups, groups sometimes. And they'll be like, I, you know, I understand that, you know, you, you're not going to stand to attention for fucking three hours in airport, nor would I expect anybody to, right? But sometimes they'll look slovenly. And like, I'm, you know, I used to rail against rules like no hands in your pockets and stuff, but I screwed the nut in public because I do think in public, you know, there are, you know, like you, you, you should keep up that perception of everybody looking like a fucking lean, mean, fucking fat-reducing grilling machine, right? Yeah, but, and especially when people, you know, people will say, thank you for your service, and a lot of guys don't know how to reply to that. Mm. I say, thank you for paying taxes, mm. and, um, you know, that gets a laugh out of most people, and because it's true. And so if you're a tax-paying civilian, and granted, I know it's only a minuscule amount of their taxes go to, you know, the U.S.'s $710 billion budget, Wow, you know, which is uh, more than 20, or it's, the, it's more than the next, like, 20 people on the list combined of like 17 of which are allies right. it makes no fucking sense to me yeah. but but I digress you know so if you're a tax paying person well I mean it makes sense because you just say that you fight all the wars yeah <laughs> need that fucking budget yeah and so you know you look over and you, you see a young man or a young woman in uniform and they look like shit you know you're gonna be like you know, you're going to be a little bit more, uh, you're not going to be as proud, but if you look yeah. over and they're standing tall and they're yeah. looking good, you know, like you have a little bit of patriotism, mm-hmm. a little bit of pride in country, and you're like, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a soldier, that's a sailor for my country. I, I wonder, though, if most civilians, like, so if you and me are looking at them, we look at them with a critical eye. Yeah. I wonder if most civilians probably are looking at them like that. They probably, you know, they're maybe not picking up on those kind of things to the extent that we do. Um, you know, for me, it just comes down to one of those things like, I, I, you know, I understand like the whole orders thing. If you have to go and travel in uniform, I'd still, to be honest, slip out of it while I was, you know, when you could, when I was, yeah, when I was traveling. Yeah. But for me, I definitely have, have seen this kind of. Um, it, it's almost like some people you just kind of get the vibe that they're doing it because they want someone to give up their fucking seat yeah. or something like that. They want someone in business class to give up their seat, and you know, it's that kind of veteran privilege thing that I'm not really like super. You know, it's not, I'm not really kind of like super into it. But back to drinking culture, all right? In the barracks, what's some of the fucking craziest things you've seen happen in the barracks? Um, so for a while, there was a bad problem where the uh, the junior Marines would get hazed by the senior Marines. And now, 
So explain to Brits what hazing is. Uh, hazing is, uh, by uh, definition, anything that is done to degrade or humiliate or to take advantage of a subordinate. So sex. Uh, yeah, it could be sex. No, um, <laughs> no that. No, yeah, it's a, that, that, that was a joke. People fraternization. But when I say junior Marines and senior Marines, sometimes this can only be like a year difference right. in age. Uh, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. So say you have somebody you know, who graduates um, high school at, in you know, 2019 and they go on deployment and they come back. It's, it's only 2021 now, 2000, maybe the end of 2020, 2021. And so the kids who graduated in 2020, they're now arriving. And so you there may only be a year, year and a half difference. But in the in the terms of the infantry community, like that hard line is like, have you deployed yet? Mm. And it's kind of been a little bit more difficult recently. Yeah, sure. They're, they're not as common. But I'm that counts as that we're talking combat deployments. Yeah. I mean, Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, I remember some of my senior guys went to Haiti. Uh, some of uh, the current Marines are going to Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are doing. Uh, uh, they they go on naval ships and they'll do the floats around the world. And so this guy may have not seen direct combat, but he was there in the Philippines when they got hit by the tsunami, and he's oh, seen wow. you know more dead bodies. Yeah, for sure. And you know than I've ever had. So he'll still get that respect, you know. Yeah. And so when you show up and you have a new guy, uh, they're referred to as boots, which is nice and nice punchy word like cunt. You know, I like it. I like boot. Yeah, it's like, it's said with feeling. You know? Yeah. And so you're like, hey, you stupid boot, or hey, come here, boot. And, uh, you know, the, the adage behind it is if you had guys in the trenches and you have new guys showed up, their boots are brand new. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little easier to distinguish, you know, that or uh, when they were swabbing the deck, um, it would be really slick. And so, you know, the, the, the salty guys would take their boots off because it'd be easier to maintain balance. And the new guys would have the slick bottom, you know, boot and they'd fall. That'd be cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the term came from. And so you'd have the boots um, would... You know, you get off work and then senior guys immediately you know, take the shirt off, smoking cigarettes on the catwalk in the barracks, drinking beers, and then that's when shit starts to go downhill. Right. And so, <laughs> oh god, yeah. This, you know, imagine kind of like a fraternity. You know, yeah. Like a really drunken fraternity. You have the seniors want to pick on the freshmen. Mm-hmm. You know, the juniors. You know, you know, uh, want to pick on the sophomores and the freshmen, and you know the uh, you have the underclassmen and the upperclassmen. And so, you know, the senior guys, they, uh, and the majority of the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps is the youngest branch. So the majority of any unit is going to be E3 and below. So you mean youngest branch as in like your recruiting ages? Or average age. Yeah, or the average age. Yeah, the average age in the Marine Corps is 25 as where it's like... Uh, and, and, and that includes all staff officers. And all yeah, all officers. staff officers, all, you know, non-commissioned officers, all the way down. So the average age is 25. Right. Most, most kids join 18, some join around 19 or 20. And so you, you know, the the idea that seventy seven percent of the Marine Corps is sergeant or below, mm-hmm. which sergeant usually takes you three to four years to get, depending um, on your on your job. I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry. It usually takes between five to six years to get, depending on your job. And your sergeants are like because we have like so so like if you're listening, you're British and you're thinking British rank structure is not the same. Like a sergeant is not necessarily a platoon sergeant. Um, yeah, like a squad leader. Yeah, so squad leaders. So we're talking like. Corporal, uh, like what would be like a corporal, like a full screen in the British Army. Yeah, and so it took me almost six years to get the sergeant. Um, I'd already, I was just about to leave on my third deployment, and I had been a combat instructor before that. So, you know, it, it takes five or six years to get there. But anyway, so the majority of the company, like 90% of the company is going to be E3 and below, people who have been in for less than four years. Right. And so you will even have E3s that are put into corporal and sergeant billets. But they're still E3, so they don't get paid for that. No, they just get the extra work. And so you have the senior guys and the junior guys. 
And uh, so one example is they would take a junior guy and they'd pull the mattresses out of their bedroom. They put them in the middle and then run duct tape around it and then throw them over the edge of the balcony nice. from the second or third floor. And, you know, because he had the mattress, he would bounce yeah. and, um, and, you know, and turn up. So, you know, that, that'd be one example. Another example, if it was a really windy, rainy day, they tie a poncho to his ankles and his wrists and then, like, throw him off the balcony. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, so he would catch wind. That, that's a common thing. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> the tsunami parties in Japan. Because, you know, the Marines have a, a big presence in Okinawa oh, cool. and Japan. And so whenever they get hit by tsunamis, you have uh, the flying squirrels, as they call them. <laughs> you know, they, they glide down from the second floor. Do they actually? Yeah. Do they actually glide? Not, not, not well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they come down in a bit of a hurry. But so that that's one example. Another one... <laughs> They'll, uh, they'll put your gas mask on and then put you in the shower and everybody will dump bleach and put the hot water on and make you do like jumpy jacks and push-ups and... Bleach? Yeah, they pour bleach um, into the drain. So why is it, what's the bleach What's the bleach for? Just to be, make you uncomfortable. Oh. Just because it's an irritant, you know? Oh. And right. so you had the gas mask on and... <laughs> yeah, and so there's... And then, uh, and then this stuff's still going on. Yes, but now it's more behind closed doors. As before, it would be public event, free for everybody to attend. You yeah. know, like oh hey, we just got a new boot. We're gonna go haze them. Yeah. You know, and so now you'd have forty-five people watching you get hazed. Versus now, it's usually just like a smaller, uh, a smaller number. And so if somehow the commandant of the Marine Corps, who I've actually met, um, <laughs> is is watching this, <laughs> I will not divulge any yeah. specifics. You ain't getting no names. Yeah. You're no rats. No no snitches around here. Yeah. I mean, unless you're gonna give me an honorary rank. Higher, you know. Yeah. Was that does that come with pay? What's that? Does that come with pay? No. Oh, okay. No, but it's honorary. I'm willing to give up information for money. Yes. <laughs> and then so you know, and then you know, drinking games where they'll uh, take like two large like uh, like quarts or uh, liters of um, of alcohol, uh, like forty ounces, and they'll duct tape them to your hands, and you can't do anything until you finish them, and they call those Edward Scissor uh, Edward Scissor forty hands. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so you can't do anything. Like, if you have to piss, like, you have to, like, finagle your dick like that. You have to shit. If, you know, if your girlfriend calls, you can't do anything until, you know, the, the beers are taped to your hand are finished. You have to finish both of them. Nice. And what's your, what's your thoughts on stuff like that? Like, because obviously, we're not condoning it, Commandant of the Marine Corps, who I know is an avid listener of the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, for me, I find, that, I find that there's some benefit to stuff like that. I really think that it's like a rite of passage. And um, I think that it boils down to, well, what is the job that you're there to do? And the job that you're there to do is take the life of other people. So you need your people to be rough around the edges, is my opinion. I don't think a civilized group of people um, want to run around bayoneting people in the face. I just, I just don't see... I just don't get how the two... Maybe I'm wrong on this. Probably not. I'm wrong about most things. But... <laughs> Um, I, I just don't see how people, like, I don't see how a logical person can think that, because we're not talking about like, you know, you, you go to the vet, right? And the vet, you need, you need to put your dog down. So the vet, a very, you know, and I know it's, you know, I know vets, oh, well, I'm sure some of them get a kick off it. You know, some weird people out there. But I know vets, it weighs very heavily on them when they have to put an animal to sleep, right? But that's not what the job, you're not, you're not going to the enemy going, God, oh, quiet, Terry. It's yeah. okay. You've lived a good life. Think of chasing those fucking. Uh, ch- think of chasing those rabbits in heaven. Yeah, and close then, your eyes. Yeah. Only dreams now. No, it's like 
boom, and his leg goes flying through the air, and everyone goes, yeah, yeah. Like so, it's it, I, I don't understand how a logical person can want or expect a group of people who. And here's the other thing as well, right? It's it's not one of the. I don't think it's one of those things where when you say stop doing it, people will want they won't stop doing it. And it just becomes a chargeable offence and you end up losing leadership and stuff because of it because you end up losing some guys who maybe were good leaders and you lose them. And like, look, I want to make the point as well is there's a, there is a difference between a community thing that everyone goes through and the deliberate picking on of an individual um, which yeah. could cause silver bullying. In my experience, and I'm sure this is the same with a lot of people, you just know when it's, when it's a group thing and you know when it's a bully thing. You just yeah. have that. It's it's the same with... Same as a lot of things. It's like if you, if you know you 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 know you you don't need to be explicitly told about say your friendships and stuff like that. You just get a gut feeling of this is something I can do with another person. It's not something I can talk about with another. You know we have these instincts as as humans, and I think our instinct is when bullying happens. And, we, and to be honest, military guys, I think as well, we're pretty good at stepping in when there's fucking bullies. Yeah. Um. So I I, I don't do. I think it's a, a it's, I think it's a pretty tough one. Um. But yeah, I, I just think that if we you start treating people with you know, with kid gloves, you're doing them a disservice because when they get to war and shit starts to get nasty, then they're not prepared for that. Yeah, the um, the trouble with that is that there's always going to be somebody who takes it too far. Yeah. You know, there's always somebody you know who ruins the good time for everyone, and usually it's some dummy who you know like, well, this was done to me, so I'm going to do it to them. Yeah. And that's the that the only mindset that they have behind it. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you justify that, you know, that, that crying mother, you know, her son was needlessly killed in some stupid training or hazing yeah. instance that, you know, was uh, had nothing to had had nothing to do with actual training. And so now, you know, the you know, the, the knee jerk reaction is now we have to overcorrect for this. Yeah. And so like you had that that uh, that one kid who he was put in the, in, uh, in the Marine Corps boot camp. He was put in the dryer. You know, he was messed with so much to the point where, um, yeah, he he jumped off of the balcony and killed himself. Yeah. And so now, you know, the standards are going to go down for everyone because of that one uh, that one incident. And now the quality of Marine that you're going to get after that is going to be less. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, dude. I definitely think that those people who do take it too far should be fully punished you know I don't think it should be a cap launch to just do to just, you know just do anything you know with everyone um, right so I want to know your perceptions and your feelings on the UK military I think that um, the my personal perception is is, is pretty uh, a pretty high admiration and respect because you know, I've, I've met a lot of British service members I've worked with a lot um, I've, I've spent a lot of time training with the commandos oh, yeah. and those dudes were like super athletes, super athletes, vile wretches creatures. We're talking about like, you know, those things that you do in like the tsunami parties. Yeah. So the Royal Marines, Boonacks, they have this, uh, I don't know if they can do them anymore, but they did have this thing called joining runs where they get their, they call them nods, which are like the new loads. And they'd like, we were talking about the whole taped up hands, respirators, or that, like, the, some of the stories about those joining runs that I've heard. I, I'll definitely get a boot neck on here at some point to talk about those because it's they're, they're just, like, they're, they're hilarious. But at the same time, you, wouldn't want to, you don't want to be the person going through one. Yeah. Again, it was like a rite of passage thing, you know? Yeah, because, like, we've, we've, you know, we've done things that are just, like, okay, like, um, 
like I, I think uh, when you were on our show, we talked about this a little bit that they like you know put a pickle in, in a guy's uh, butt crack, and now you have to walk from here to here. And if you drop it, you know you got to take out take a bite, or you know things where like um, they're going to you know. Uh, the fire team's gonna hold you down, and they're gonna put like tape over your nipple and rip the hairs off. Ooh. You know, it's just like the stupidest shit, you know. And what would you rather do? Would you rather do the pickle one or the nipple? Oh, easily the pickle thing. Yeah, same. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when you said that, I was like, this is maybe I'm a bit of a creature because you said that. I was like, that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it means most people would be humiliating, you know. Yeah. Like, but- imagine if you go into your work at like the restaurant or at the pub. You know, and then like all the wait staff like pin you down and put a pickle on your butt. And they're like, all right, do a lap around the bar. Yeah, jokes on them. I like pickles. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd know, be it'd be you know humiliating for most people. But uh, but for the most part, I I, you know, I have a lot of respect for them. I uh, I've worked with them a lot on different capacities, either in training overseas. Like I said, they did a lot of our medevacs and in, in Afghanistan. And uh, I think the, as far as the perception of. The, uh, the British Army and the British military in general goes for the uh, for America is that most Americans kind of like see them as a close partner because of the the, the amount of effort that and uh, partnership that has been put in by both in Iraq and Afghanistan. And you think that's like a, that's like a, that's not just military things that like a general population thing. I think so. Uh, I mean, you can't discount the fact that like what like seventy countries celebrate Independence Day because of the 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 British military, you know. Uh, you can't discount that. It's, you know, every 4th of July is the biggest fucking party that we have in America. Pretty fucking dope. I enjoy it very much. <laughs> I'm actually okay with losing the colonies because I enjoy 4th of July so much. Yeah, and then, you know, also Western expansion. If he hadn't, sold, you know, if, uh, he hadn't sold the colonies and then gone to war with uh, France, then, you know, Louis, uh, Napoleon would never have sold the uh, Louisiana Territory to Thomas Jefferson. There'd be no, there'd be no Mardi Gras. So yeah. got two parties. Yeah, you no know, Manifest Destiny. You know, uh, Spain probably would have held on to you know Mexico and California mm. and you know it'd be a, a very a, a very different landscape yeah San Diego would not be the San Diego oh, not at all. today and it's just it was just kind of funny that the um, you know when we had the Olympics in London uh, a few years back yeah. like how the national anthem is basically just like a war song you know and so every time they will you know the US won the gold medal you know the flag goes up, the national <laughs> anthem goes off almost all national anthems are war songs <laughs> yeah like there's not many national anthems where it's like Let's go to yoga class. Uh, and then, oh, Canada. Oh, really? Yeah. Is this pretty chill? Yeah, oh, pretty no, they, didn't they do... They, they did a revision on it recently, didn't did they? they? I'm pretty sure they did a revision on it yeah. to take out, like, the one bit that was, like... Oh, yeah? Vaguely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, I might have made this up. I make a lot of stuff up. I do it professionally. <laughs> but, um, but I'm pretty sure that it was a thing, like... Uh, um, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure it was a thing. Um yeah, we're gonna look that one up. We'll look that one up later. And, um, well, which, is also, <laughs> which is also funny because, like, you look at why the the colonial war was fought. Mm-hmm. It was like a like a very minuscule tax, and then you look at the tax rate that the U.S. has now, and I can just see like the Queen, like, ha, you fucked yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, actually, Canada, Canada is an interesting one though because again, they've been in, you know, they were in Afghanistan. I don't think people understand. that how much of a role um, the Canadians had in, yeah, in Helmut Province. Uh, sorry, in, uh, I think it's Kandahar Province. Yeah, they yeah. hold the, the record for the longest uh, sniper shot. No, no, I think Brit took that back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brit took, they did have it for a bit, but Brit took it back. I think it's Sergeant He Brit. shot like some gas canister and like eight yeah. dudes blew up at yeah. once. Like, it was a so righteous kill. kill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see. Look, look at us smiling. <laughs> this is what I mean. We're yeah. just talking about people getting blown up by a gas canister. We're both sitting here with massive smiles on our face. Like, 
It's like, Bridget. remember that, yeah, remember that beautiful sunset that we saw? We're like, oh, you know those guys, they shot the gas canister and it blew up? It's like, yeah. ah, memories. <laughs> A lot of memories. Yeah, okay, so I'm just going to look at my uh, little notes list down here because I want to make sure we're covering everything. All right, so I'm going to tell you, because I asked you earlier if you heard about this and you hadn't, so I'm going to give you the, give you the story. So... What happened was recently, uh, so Jeremy Corbyn, right, he is the leader of the opposition in, um, in the British government, right? Um, pretty far left. And he's, you know, he's, I'm not going to say he's not a fan of the British military because I don't want to put words into his mouth, but the perception is that he is not a fan of the British military. Um, and I get where he's coming from. He doesn't want there to be wars and stuff, and that's fantastic. There shouldn't be wars, but there are wars, right? Yeah. So he's in favour of, like, scrapping our, um, our uh, trident, um, the missile, the nuclear submarines. He's in favour of like scrapping that. Um, bull which, move, Cotton. Yeah, bull. Yeah, bull move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Oh, here come the Russians. Um, and he's um, he was very much on the kind of when when it came to the IRA, he was. And again, you know, we don't want wars to go on forever, so there is like points to be made for reconciliation and stuff like that. But recently, there's a couple of things that have happened. There's been, um, they've brought up these historic crimes against members of the parachute regiment, and one of the guys is now going to be tried for murder of, um, of what the event was called Bloody Sunday. Um, and I think the reason that this, I don't think anybody out there thinks soldiers should be able to get away with, with anything. But I think what's really irked people is that there are, um, basically, amnesty was granted for all the terrorists who committed crimes there. So they've they're all walking. They, there's no murderers of no murderers of soldiers, of security forces, of civilians. These people are walking away, are walking around as free men, right? And if that's the price for, pay, uh, for peace, then maybe it needs to be paid. But I think what's really got people is that they've gone after soldiers for crimes committed sixty years ago, nearly. Um, they're going after these guys, but then the terrorists are walking around free. Mm. And I think that he's kind of been supportive of that. So what happened recently was a few lads who were their paras, um, who are not known for the, their even-keeled temperament. You know, they are, as you know, British infantry are pretty rough around the edges, and I would say the paras try and take that to another level. And there's uh, some of them deployed in Afghanistan, and they took a, a video of four of them using the sim munition, and there are four of them firing, and then they go, the, the cameraman goes to look at the target, and it's a big poster of Jeremy Corbyn. And um, there's obviously been outcry from a lot of people who feel that this is a terrible thing that these guys were shooting at the leader of the opposition and you've got brigadiers from that from the um, 16 air assault brigade coming out saying what a fucking terrible thing it is for them to behave that way what's your kind of thoughts on like public or not even public reaction because to be honest i think public reaction has been they're fucking paras like you, these guys are desperate to fucking kill people you really gonna make this much of a fuss about it? My own opinion is they're fucking stupid to video it and put it up because what do you think was gonna fucking happen? Yeah. Um, but it, well, could you think? Could you imagine like a similar thing happening like that in the US? Like what if somebody, if some like let's say some Rangers shot some munition at a target of a uh, uh, Hillary Clinton? You know, yeah. would there be that? What what would the reaction be to something like that? Um, I think it it would be kind of. Uh it'd be split because America is so polarized with, uh, with politics and because there, there was something that similar that kind of happened where uh, Hillary Clinton walked into a Taco Bell and there was a bunch of Marine recruiters there 
And so Shino went around and shook their hands. And the way that the picture is taken is that the, the Marine was shaking her hand, but he had his other finger, like his hand like this, like crossing what, his finger. To, trying to finger it? No, no. So like, you know, the uh, in grade school in America, like, I, I apologize if that's an offensive symbol to anybody, like a crux or whatever. And, um, but when you cross your fingers, it basically means that you don't mean whatever you're saying. Oh, okay. So if somebody is like, hey, you know, um, can I borrow 25 cents to buy a juice? And you're like, okay, but you have to pay me back tomorrow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the person has their fingers crossed, like in child, you know, mischief. In the child court law. Yeah. And, you know, child law. mischief and lore, mm-hmm. you know, if you have your fingers crossed, um, that means you don't mean it. Right. That you're basically that you have permission to lie if your fingers are crossed or whatever. And so you have to be like, no, you know, fingers crossed. Let me see your hands. And, <laughs> you know, it's like you got to run their pockets, you know, make sure. Politics would probably run a lot better if we went back to that system. Yeah. And so you know, he was shaking Hillary Clinton's hand and he had his fingers crossed, basically meaning like, I'm only doing this because I'm obligated yeah. to. Like a, a lot of our, our um, if you look at some of our propaganda uh, footage from like Korea and Vietnam, like there, uh, there was a pilot who shot down in Korea, and they forced him to record like propaganda of him surrendering. Oh, yeah. But when he had his hands up, he was doing it straight up, like he was calling a, a goal, uh, you know. Nice. And so, and he, the way he had his shirt tucked and stuff, and so you could like look at him and tell him that he was doing this under protest. Mm-hmm. So Americans were just like, "Oh no, he's not a traitor!" Like, "Oh, he's yeah. just being tortured." But anyways, we'll be tortured. Yeah, <laughs> we'll let him off. How many days of torture? Ah, three. Okay, it's acceptable. Yeah, and it had only been two. <laughs> But yeah, that's fucked up, you know, like we're talking about a dude, like people have been tortured, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so the idea was that like uh, the the left completely ignored it. Like they didn't talk about it at all. The right blue, you know, the right media, not the politicians themselves. The media was like, oh, look at this Hillary Clinton snubbed by a, a U.S. Marine. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is that if you, you know, do anything and you were ever associated with the military, it's not asshole Daniel Sharp mm-hmm. did something. It was former U.S. Marine, or if you're active duty, yeah. you know, like you said, it was like you know, paras shoot at. Yeah. It wasn't you know, uh, John Smith and Jim Lore and you know, Bob yeah. Jones. It wasn't three assholes shoot you know at Target. It was three paratroopers shoot yeah. at Target. And I had a conversation recently with a um, um, a new friend of mine, uh, Clint Romsha. He's an Army guy in the U.S. He won. He was he received. A, I don't like to say won, but he was awarded the mm-hmm. Medal of Honor. Yeah. I think which it's saying at the end of the war. The, the yeah, received. which is our, our nation's highest military honor. Is the Victoria Cross? Yeah, it's Victoria Cross. I mean, people yeah. think, well, you know, well, Medal of Honor, it basically means you've done some badass, badass shit. And he said something similar. Like, he uh, he wanted to tease somebody on social media, like another veteran that he didn't know personally, but, you know, he wanted mm-hmm. to tease him. But he was like, I can't do that because it's not Clint, you know, doing this. It's Medal of Honor. Yeah, that door's close to you, dude. Yeah. There's a... Um, Brian Wood, he, uh, he put a quote up. So Brian Wood's a military crossman and we talked about on your yeah. podcast. You know, and he, he put a quote from Winston Churchill, which I'm probably going to butcher, but it's something like, uh, you know, a medal shines brightly, but it also casts a shadow. Yeah. And that's one of those things about it. It's because you are, from that point, it's like, it's not a military cross talking, it's that person. And that person might have been, you might have been a uh, Victoria Cross winner who was the lad of the barracks, who was the prankster. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like your personality has to... You're not allowed to like embrace that personality anymore because you are a spokesperson then for the army yeah. or for whatever, you know, whatever branch you're in. And anyone who I've ever met that has won a, an award for valor, mm-hmm. um, whether you know, be a Medal of Honor or Silver Star, uh, Bronze Star, whatever the, co- uh, the case is, you know, they always say, this medal isn't for me, it's for the guys that didn't make it back. And so... To, to speak of that, you know, you have to kind of put that into context as for being in the military. Like we say some pretty raunchy and fucked up shit, 
But at the end of the day, I think that you and I both acknowledge that there is a line that, you know, if you were to cross, it wouldn't just be like, oh, Garrett, it would be like, oh, you know, best-selling author does this. Or oh, yeah. it, it wouldn't be, you know, uh, you know Dan Sharp. It would be like, uh, you know, social media influencer. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever the case Absolutely. is. People like to stick labels on you. And that is something that I worry about because it's like with the, the book I've got coming out in May, Brothers and Nails, people already know. Um, it, um, I don't want people to think that I'm speaking for all soldiers when I write that book, yeah. which some people, some people are going to be like, Oh, well, who is he to speak for all soldiers? I'm not someone to speak for all soldiers. I'm speaking for me, my experience, and I got my, um, you know, my close group of friends. I sent the book to each one of them so that they were happy with how it was. For, I'm only speaking for, like, me and maybe a couple of them in certain parts. I'm not speaking for all fucking soldiers. Yeah. But people will be like, oh, well, this is what it's like for soldiers. Well, no, it's not like it for everyone. And also not only that, but um, to, to, to kind of take it back a little bit, it's people also have a tendency to polarize things. And so I could tease somebody, you know, and it's just banter, you know, yeah. and we forget about it. And it's just, you know, down the hatch with the beer, gone with the memory. But somebody else would be like, no, he slams this person yeah. or, you know, disrespects or, you know, um, and whatever your action is, like you might, you know, do something, uh, you know, funny and record it. Like, oh, look, look at me, I'm doing a dance, you know, I'm making a funny voice or an impression. Mm. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, veteran disgraces, you know, the, the Marine Corps, and it's just like, why, why does everything have to be so polarized? Yeah. You know, like, you I, can't... I, not only that as well, but it's like, look, I, look, I look at it like this. If I go out and I do something stupid, right? I mean, really stupid, not the usual level of stupidity. Um, people don't go, oh, this pupil of us called Brent Tabar, which is my primary school. They, you know, so it's like, you might have been out of the Marines for 20 years and done something. <laughs> so it's like, let's say there's a shooter who has a help beam a shooter who was a, a, was at one point was in the service, it'd be like, oh, soldier shoots up club or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, so that was one one part of his life for a short part of his life. Yeah. But it's like that identity, as far as like the media or whatever is concerned, it's just, you know, it, 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 um, that is what they want to label. But while we're on the negative side of the social media, let's talk about the positive side too. Yeah. So we were saying earlier, US Marine... Um, from America, <laughs> British soldier from Britain. Now in Norway, one of us is drinking. <laughs> I'll be drinking later. Yeah, you'll be drinking later. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of us is somewhat professional. You're somewhat so, professional, but yeah. But I mean, U.S. Marines slams British troops. <laughs> this is this is something. If if I don't start before you guys, then we're not on an even keel. That's as, fair. As was demonstrated last night, yeah. I have to start before you to make it to to get us all on the same level. And you got that three year handicap. <laughs> yeah. And you guys can drink on deployment too, right? No. Well, the base rats can. Yeah. Um, but, like, not if you're fucking... Well, I mean, Special Forces guys, but, I mean, they're all to themselves. Yeah. So, um, but not, not us. Okay. No, no, not us, dude. I didn't see... Um, they'd be, like, in Iraq, sometimes they'd be, like, oh, it's a two-can rule, so you can all have two cans. Except anyone that's on patrols today, QRF, or so, it's like, oh, so that's all the infantry, yeah. basically. Except for, <laughs> except for the MT staff, who are now absolutely blitzed. Yeah, the company commander. <laughs> the battalion, yeah. But to be fair, so I, yeah, I don't... I, I was good like that out in Iraq. But yeah, to be fair, like, it was fucking crazy, like, in, in Iraq. Because, like, they were, they were piss-ups on the base and stuff. Some people did have big piss-ups. Um, but no, not for the, not for us. But yeah, so good size of social media. You and me out here, we connected yeah. through social media. 
I can't remember exactly how now. I think it was like, I can't remember if it was the third or fourth dick pic that I sent that got your attention. It was the fourth. It was the fourth. I mean, it was a little looking, sombrero on it. Yeah, it's particularly veiny that yeah. day too. <laughs> um, and, um, should I tell the story about the gym? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so basically, um, long story short, Dan and I, because we're both beefy, handsome gentlemen, we went to use the gym uh, in the hotel the other day. And I was telling him a story about one of the guys. This this is a story passed on to me by one of my friends. And they were talking about how um, one of the guys was like, he had extremely veiny arms and he was a big muscular guy. I never thought he was on steroids. So their way of, of finding out whether he was or not was to make him get hard on and then to check out the veinage of his cock. Mm. Uh, and then they were like, right, story checks out. It's, an extreme, it's extremely veiny cock. And I told this story to um, Dan in the hotel gym. And I just assumed that the girl in there who was on the spin bike was listening to music in her headphones uh, the, judging by the look that she gave me as she stormed out probably not so I would like to apologise publicly to that girl it was not meant to be an offensive story I thought it was a funny story uh, which I was talented down and I did not think it was for civilian yeah, years maybe she was, wasn't eavesdropping yes yeah, may, yeah exactly next time fucking don't eavesdrop on my conversation about big veiny wieners <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, so the social media, the good side of it is that you know we get to connect, and I you know, and I really appreciate when people send me messages on social media, um, letting me know that if the podcast has helped or if something that I've written has helped, and you know you find it the same way. Um, sometimes though, we were saying that like, sometimes like, I have fucking bad days, you have bad days. Mm-hmm. Some days when you get like a message from someone who's like struggling themselves, and you're struggling, that can be pretty fucking heavy, like because you're like. You know, you're like, oh, well, I want to, I want to help this person, but at the same moment, it's like, I don't even want to like speak to anyone in the world today. Yeah. So it can get heavy like that, but generally, I think that social media has been a very positive thing for veterans. I really appreciate when people, um, you know, get in contact and say that that's been the case. And yeah, dude, I mean, I just think that you know, your meme page, for instance, that that bit of laughter could be a difference in someone having a uh, sorry side of it, a good yeah. day or shit day. It, uh, it can be, and uh, you kind of, once you start to reach people and you start to get those messages, it becomes a little taxing because anything you do for pleasure is fun, but then anything that you're expected to do eventually becomes a chore. Mm. And so, like, the idea is, you know, how do you consistently produce content? And I found that I get a lot of influence and a lot of inspirations from the messages that I get and the conversations that I have with, uh, with people who message me. Because I may not, you know, remember, you know, every moment of my entire career, but if somebody, you know, sends me a picture or sends me a message and that might spark a memory and then I am able to use, you know, my creative talent to put that into a format that is appeasing to, you know, the people who follow me. Yeah. I guess, I guess there's some fucking great stories like people, um, and you know, people have been good, uh, people have been good. Like they've been, um, telling me about, oh, you need to have this guy on, that guy on and keep those coming because, um, I've got like... You know, I've got like a lineup of guests, you know, for the next few months. But like, I want to, you know, I want this project to be something that keeps going on, and 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 it's been really cool. I've had some really cool offers uh, recently for people that I have no contact with. So uh, we'll get one of the uh, someone the other day is um, his dad was like Rhodesian special forces oh, nice. and that kind of. Thing. I wouldn't know anyone like that. So I'm really looking forward to these conversations. What do they say? Uh, sword and floppies. What's that? Sword and floppies, like that's what the term was for stacking bodies back then. Oh, oh Jesus! In Rhodesia. I mean, it's not going to be a politically correct conversation. And I mean, no. I mean, look, there's nothing. I don't know what that means, by the way. So yeah, there's nothing politically correct about the business of killing people. Anyway, let's just be yeah. honest about that. It doesn't matter how you do it. 
Um, there's no there's no politically correct way of when it comes to killing people. But you know what? It's all part of history. It all needs fucking recording. The story is a story, whether or not it rubs people up the wrong way or not. In fact, if anything, stories that make people uncomfortable are probably the ones that need to be fucking told and recorded. Uh, because if we just gloss over all the fucking bad shit in history, then we come up with a distort, very distorted view of the world. Um, and then when you have a distorted view of the world, um, that's when um, same mistakes happen. Yeah. You know? uh, anyway, bro, I think it's time to wrap it up. Um, I'm busting for a piss. Before we go, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Pop Smoke. You can find me on uh, Instagram, uh, Pop underscore Smoke underscore Official. Uh, you can also check out the Smoke Pit Podcast that has uh, Instagram under that name. It's available on iTunes and Spotify. We just hit like 100,000 downloads. Uh, so we're pretty proud of that. Uh, Pop Smoke is at like 400, I'm sorry, 534,000 followers on Facebook. My Instagram is at like 226,000 followers. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big community. We have about 55 different countries who listen to the podcast. And, you know, there's, there's something there for everyone. Uh, how many ISIS people do you reckon listening? Because I reckon they will. I reckon there's got to be some of them who are sitting there, like, they're probably, like, going red with rage and steam's coming out their ears at your infidel stories. But do you reckon they, do, do, you reckon they do, tune, do you reckon they tune in for, like, a bit of kind of, like, um, know your enemy stuff? Um, I would think, it, if anybody, if I had to guess, because we'll get pings when we get, you know, lists in different countries. And so one week we'll look at it and be like, oh, we had, like, six people in Afghanistan listen to us. Mm. And you, you would think it'd be, like, six, you know, uh, like, either, like, um, military people or contractors or whatever. But I would like to think at, lo- at least one of them is, like, a wife that saw me. And on patrol, you know. Oh, Daniel, yeah, it's you. And you know, so now she just tunes in the podcast, and then whenever like the husband comes in, she has to like you know hide it. Yeah. So she doesn't get beaten. Clean up the clean up a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, guys. So that's where you find Daniel and the Smoke Pit guys. Obviously, I'll link everything up as well. Or maybe I won't. I'll see how I'm feeling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, where can you find me? You can find me at GRJ Books is my personal Instagram. Um, we're at Veteran State of Mind. Oh, by the way, I made a podcast for you guys. Not a podcast, this is a podcast. I made a website. It's vsompodcast.com. You go to vsompodcast.com, scroll all the episodes up there in a nice, easy to find place. Um, and it's got all these little buttons that the uh, awesome web designer made. Because um, I'm not going to claim that I made it myself, I've got a fucking clue. <laughs> and um, you can click the buttons and you can subscribe on your favorite platforms. It, it does it dead easily for you, it takes everything. Um, it's got links to all the social media on there it's got a black and white photo of me where I love pensive um, what else has it got it's got a contact form on there so if you have questions for the podcast you can send them to me on social media but you know I get a lot of dick pics and stuff like that so you know I, I lose people's questions in the you know the kind of the clutter of dick pics in my inbox so if you can send them to the website it goes through to a nice separate account for me where I have all the questions in there so that's the contact form on vsong podcast.com um, and yeah guys if you can pre-order bro, uh, pre-order Brothers in Arms then me love you long time that would help a lot um, right should we go and get uh, some more drinks and some food yes right awesome thank you very much guys cheers we out <laughs>